Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right. So, uh, Jaime, um, Greg, of course, as you know, had 13 picks last week. So, Oh, I thought it was 18. Uh, was it 18? I, I lost It might have been 20. It was 13 US, 18 Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> So hey everybody, welcome to episode 85 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined as usual by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. I was allowed to come back after last week. Woo! Yeah, we, we put Greg in a hotel. He's not able to be here tonight. And we also have Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hi there. All right. Right. Well, that was good. That was that was high energy. Ah. Uh, yeah. Woohoo. Okay. Let's get Greg back. <laughs> no, Greg's gone. <laughs> is he not gone today? Like, is, is, he's, is actually, he's actually he's actually he's in a hotel overnight at the airport, and he'll be on a plane to sunny California first thing in the morning. I know that one. The mm-hmm. um, the four thirty wake up call. Oh, I don't know if it's first thing in the morning. I'm just I'm being facetious. You know. Oh, are you? Okay. No. Leaving on a jet plane. All right. I thought don't we had a no song when policy. He'll be back again. <laughs> you have a no song policy. Yeah, that's right. Anyway. So Tim, were you at a concert last week? Is that what, where you were? Yeah, of, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I have brain damage. Every time I book a, a con, for, a, a, an event or whatever, I always forget that I should leave Wednesdays unbooked. And I don't know how the, he, there was a there was a performance on Tuesday night which I could have gone to, but uh, but I had booked uh, Wednesday night for some strange reason. And then you know nobody went with me. I went by myself. But and no, that was a surprise. Showing up on Wednesday night at the podcast and is like, "Where? Okay, Greg, what's where's Tim?" <laughs> <laughs> Why did you initiate this call? Yeah. Oh yeah. No Tim. No Tim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as a you know, because like even Mark, I, when I tweeted him just to let him know that, or I didn't tweet him because we don't tweet Mark. Um, I texted him and said that you know Greg would be hosting. He goes, well, "Why don't we just cancel?" And my my answer, which I never got around to saying, is because we are all more than just code podcast. Well, I said, "Why don't we just cancel?" After Jaime piped in saying he wasn't coming either. Oh really? Oh that, right. That was a good enough attrition rate to cancel. 
Yeah, no, we 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 always have Tammy on standby, so she because she's you know babysits her uh, her sick pets all day long, so she's always available to jump mm-hmm. on a mic. So, Mark, and you, you sound- saw that message? Did you get like an email or something from Twitter? Yeah, I nope. have uh, oh, not right. an email, but I have direct notification notifications for direct messages turned on now. Okay, got it. Because mm-hmm. you guys note are- to selves. <laughs> Yeah, we still we still haven't we still haven't met our challenge, guys. You know, what challenge is that? Getting Mark to actually respond to us on Twitter. Oh, that's madness! Why would you even try doing that? <laughs> why would Why would I participate in a dying technology? Dying technology? <laughs> what? It is. What are we talking about? It is. Twitter is dying. You guys don't know this. Well, defend yourself. I don't need to. Look at look at uh, the stats. Look at the. The what the world? I mean, now I I understand that Canada is you know sometimes a little behind the times, but Ooh, yeah. sideburn yeah, we like it. wooden toys and stuff. Sideburn. What's up with that? <laughs> okay, no, so I mean, it's your it's I mean, your contention that Twitter is is fading and going to die. It's inevitable. Well, yeah, I mean it is inevitable. It's you know I'm not I'm not saying it's going to die next week. Uh huh. But but Twitter is is on a downward trend. I mean this is just this is not news right no mark's told us this before we just don't believe him well okay (laughs) i'm kidding why did why does why is twitter you know throwing out their ceo and bringing new guys in and trying all these twitter has always been kind of dysfunctional as a company right from their corporate structure it amazes me that they do exist still to this day they Um, still don't make any money well no they do make money they absolutely make money they they are they have cash flow they've got revenue sources so it's not like they're not making money. It's just that they're not making it at the scale that Facebook is, uh, against whom they are always compared, right? Mm. But what the hell? Okay, sorry. Uh, side I, I'm, not, here. I'm not sure that Twitter is actually profitable. If you can show me a number that says that, I would be interested in seeing it. So I feel like there was a difference there. So I interpret making money to mean on yeah, the path to profitability. Have, and yeah, they have well, revenue. revenue. Just pure revenue generation is pretty easy to do, right? You can get at right. least a dollar. Right. right, right, and it's Twitter, a lot. Patreon, right? so. Reven- you know, revenue generation without profit is is a lie. It's it's a, it's you can and you can you can keep that lie going for a long time if you have a lot of cash on hand, but most people don't have a lot of cash on hand, and it eventually catches up with you, and then you have one of these you know high high uh, visibility uh, startup blowups that we hear about. This is exactly what they all do, right? Because they just report revenue; they don't report profit. Okay, Mark, I'm going to uh, um, counter that with the fact that there are still a lot of people that use Twitter, you know? Sure. Like, um, yeah. And so I don't, I, I guess what I'm, I, I guess what I would say is it's, um, it's never going to be as big as Facebook, um, but they will and do make enough money to get by, you know, they're well, tweaking what, business. If they're losing money every quarter, what happens when they run out? Oh, is is it so that they are in fact losing money? I thought that's they were what, making profits. That's what non-profit means. So you revenue, and you yeah, spend money good. to keep the business going, and if you spend more than you make, then you're non-profitable. Yes, yes. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, that's what that so means. I'm just looking at their financial <laughs> statements. Gross income: one point five billion for 2015. And I'm just rolling down here. Uh, okay, they, they made $1.5 uh, and they're spending that much? They're spending a little more than that because they they lost $137.2 million in 2015. 
Right. And looking over the last five years, they have never made a profit. Right. In mm-hmm. those last five years. So they've never made any money. Yeah. But ever. You know, look look at the numbers. It's one point five billion in, in revenues and they've missed by one hundred and thirty two million, which yeah. No, they can no. tweak that, right? They can tweak it. Their yeah. trends are up, right? Um, like in 2014, they made under a billion dollars. So they've they've ramped up their revenues in just a year by 50%. Mm-hmm. Well, they started um, that whole ad, ad uh, business for uh, yeah. Twitter for business, right? I think it's just fair to say they're, they're, they're not... They're not, it's not like they're not making money, like they can't make money. They can. They're, they're demonstrating they can make money. They're also demonstrating they can spend it. <laughs> yeah, um, very well. No question yeah. about that. Um, but given that, I, th- I don't think this means that they're gone, that they're dead, and that it's inevitable that they're going to be dead. Uh, not by any stretch. So, so again. I, so I, I'm just looking at the stock price here, Mark. So the current stock price today is $16. I, I assume that's American. Why would they, why would they have a positive stock value if they're losing money does well, that just mean that people have bought shares and they have faith in them or uh, yes that's exactly what it means uh so what's the price to earnings ratio oh i don't know hang on i mean the the um i can tell you this much like i, I bought twitter stock when it first came out and, it, and it's been going down ever since like you said steadily right so yeah since it went public so it's been a, it's been a rocky road and it's pretty been pretty much been downward cycles since the early part yeah, of so, 2015 so if so. you look at I'm looking at just Yahoo Finance because it's convenient. Uh, yeah. They have a trailing PE of NA, not applicable, which means they didn't make any money. Uh, they have a forward PE for fiscal year ending December 2017, mm-hmm. which is a prediction of about 20. So that means that somebody thinks that in fiscal year 2017, they will make uh, – 20 times the price of the stock per share in earnings. Mm-hmm. It, that's that's profit. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean they will. That means somebody thinks they will. Right, right. And, and if it's true, then the $16 stock price is priced the way it is based on that assumption that that will be true. But it's just an assumption. Mm-hmm. It's, not, mm-hmm. it's not guaranteed. Right. So, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. We will see. We will see. I haven't given right. up hope on them, obviously. But, you know, Mark, you have because you don't use Twitter. <laughs> and I should re- repeat, I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm not invested in, in you know, the stock or the company as, as a business, per se. I yeah. don't care much for Jack Dorsey. And I'm not sure how much of a genius he actually is. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in the corporate moves that they make. And as a developer, I think a lot of people feel the same way given how they've burned them. But um, as a service, as the thing that I use every day, I find it invaluable, and I would be very sad if it went away. But I would hasten to add that if it did, something very similar would spring up almost immediately thereafter. Because but there's also other, other technologies that Twitter's bought over the years, other than just their Twitter business. Like, don't they own Crashlytics and Fabric and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Fabric is their sort of developer side technology suite, of which right. Crashlytics was the first component. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I don't. I don't think they make any money off of that, though. No, I don't think they charge for any of that. Yeah. Crashlytics is free. Yeah. Really? Always has been. Even before it was purchased by Twitter, Crashlytics was free. Huh. You know, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Need I say yeah. More? 
Yeah. yeah. There was an enterprise plan before, but they made it free for everybody forever. Um, sometime around the Twitter acquisition. Well, there you go. Interesting. There we go. So, Aaron, you had some follow up items. Uh, yeah. Well, um, let's talk about uh, which one? Shall we say the first one on this document here? So, one of the issues that we talk about a lot on the show is developers charging real dollars for their apps. And one of the things that we keep saying about that is that developers should really try this experiment to see if they can actually make real money uh, by charging real prices on iOS in particular, right? Uh, Mac, for example, has has a longstanding tradition of charging real dollars, uh, not as large a market, and yet Mac developers uh, who are at least successful on the platform tend to do better because the per unit price is higher. Well, today, Flixel... Uh, in the person of Mark Pavlidis, who works there, posted this blog entry discussing how they are now raising the price of their iOS app, Cinemagraph Pro for iOS, uh, mm-hmm. to not quite the same as their Mac version, but pretty darn close. Their Mac version of Cinemagraph Pro is $300. This is all US. Uh, and their iOS version until today was $50. They're raising that to $250. Wow. Yeah, cranking it right up. Attach a rocket to it. It is a huge jump. The reason they did that, or they are doing it, is because the iOS version of the app has reached feature parity with the Mac version. And so their Mm -hmm. contention is, hey, it's the same app. Why not charge the same price for it? So they're doing it. It's happening. Now, it's not, again, not quite the same. It's still $50 more on the Mac. But, you know, when you're up to $250, then, you know, you're doing okay, I guess. Here you go. And I think that is wonderful. And the reason that they can get away with it, of course, is that Cinemagraph Pro, as you could tell from the name, is not consumer-level software. This is not right. an app that you're just going to try on a whim um, for two ninety nine, right? So this is a signal to the market as much as anything that, hey, take us seriously. We're, we're here for reals. We, we have an actual powerful app that are, that's going to be for professional photographers who are looking to actually do professional work. And it's going right. to save them time and money. And that's, you know, really what professional app pricing is all about, too, is the idea that you're going to save money by spending a lot more than you would normally expect to as a consumer. I'm really happy for Mark and for the team at Flixel for making the decision, and I hope that it works out really well for them. You guys got any combat? Yeah, and I think definitely that, that, that this is the kind of thing we've been talking about for a while, is that you know people are saying there are no pro apps for the iPad Pro lines, as it were. As you said, this this product that they make is is pretty much a niche product, and and is you in use by professionals, you know, in the advertising and marketing and, and professional photography world. So why not? Since it, you said, as you said, it's got feature parity with the Mac version. Why not charge a real price for it? You know, exactly. It's you know, it's not it's not meant for every man, as we've said before, or every man and woman. It's basically for a specific uh, niche market that's going to you know profit technically from the work that they do on this product right and it's and it's about time like we've been saying that uh we start to see some professional software on the ios platform right quite right now there was a a, a, i'm drawing a blank here but i was listening to recent release notes the other day and they were talking about there's another app that's um i forget what it is but it's 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 free but if you want to open up the the advanced features it's like something like 25 dollars a month or something like that it's like a subscription level pricing so it's quite a bit that considerably higher when you think about it you know what what app is that i'm trying i just can't remember the name of the app but uh i have to go back go back and look it up but it was um 
um, I can't remember if it was like a music app or something like that. Or was it like a professional app? Yeah, I think it, I think that was the gist of it. It, it. There is a free version; you can download it for free, and then there's an in-app purchase to basically unlock a bunch of you know professional level features. And when you do that, it's it's a subscription level model as opposed to just buying it outright. Right, know? right. So, and that if it, we've talked about it before, that kind of model would allow a developer to continue supporting and have a. a, a an application that's for a specific, you know, niche market, right? Right. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of that mar- model. Um, the secret product that I'm not talking about, and you know, I'm not sure if I'll ever finish it. Let's be frank. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had it in mind to make it free and provide extra features or bonus features or professional level features, whatever you want to call it, uh, for a mm-hmm. subscription fee. Super easy entry cost. Cost you nothing to try it out. But if you love it and you want to take advantage of some very important features that are in it, then uh, you can pay a monthly fee. And I think that's a really smart idea. Yeah, I think I think it's Shaper 3D. It's a it's a, a an app that was introduced for the iPad Pro market. Okay. Um, and you can you can, you can use it for free. Um, but and it's a 3D 3D modeling program. So if you want to do part, you know serious 3D modeling with it, then um, you pay by the month as opposed to uh, I found just it. buying it outright. There's a video, yeah. of course, so you know, gotta watch the video. And, and, and supporting the Apple uh, Apple Pencil as well, and mm. doing really cool stuff. Video totally doesn't work. It's kind of embarrassing. Well, I'm watching. I'm watching the uh, the background video on the on the homepage. Yeah, I see that. It's tough to see with all that giant text in the way. But there's a play button right there, and then the screen dims, and then nothing happens. I wonder if uh, yeah, Ghostery is blocking it. Yeah. Okay. So here it is. It's. Um, <laughs> Zero dollars. It says free version, and then it says twenty four ninety nine for thirty days and pay it. annually, get two months for free. Yeah, so it's per month. Right on. Yeah, turn off Ghostery, Tim, and the video works. There you go. But that's that's kudos to Mark and the gang over at uh, Flixel for indeed bully for their, them. Their, bully for them. Their best foot forward. Exactly. Yes. Um. So yeah, got some more follow up for us, Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Nudge. Uh, nudge wink. Wink. Okay. What do you do? You have the link for that, Tim. The uh, comment so, on our site. Uh, I actually don't have I it at hand. Do yeah. I'll oh, it would it be the most recent. Hand. It was the most recent show. MTJC. Yeah. I know that. MTJC.fm, right? Is that the show? The, That's us. That's us. Is that the show? Is that the show? And you click click on the link. Okay. Okay. So we got a comment on our website last week, and it had to do with a comment I made last week talking about privacy and the motivations of companies uh, around the technology industry. Um, and I pointed out and. Um, it was not universally accepted, as I thought, imagined it would have been, that Apple is the most motivated by its business model to support privacy. Apple is is most strongly motivated to support privacy for its customers, as opposed to a Google or a, who else did I say, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, you know, those, the usual suspects. You, you know? threw them all into the bus, yeah. I really did. I chucked them all, and the bus came roaring down the street and mauled them. It was really grisly. But I, we got a bit of feedback from Christoph on our website. Um, posted just uh, yesterday from the looks of things. And uh, he expressed some surprise that uh, that I would say what I did and supporting Google's privacy stance. The idea that they sell user data is simply wrong. His point was that they sell targets for advertisers. Um, his point, I believe, being, not to put words in his mouth, I'm going to do it anyway, that they Google aggregates data and packages it for advertisers who are able then to target ads at particular segments based on those those users behavior so um an advertiser doesn't find out names and email addresses and you know you know personally identifiable stuff 
they just, you know, sell blocks of ads based on keywords that uh, sellers of or that buyers of advertising uh, look for, like, you know, Mm -hmm. selling Max. And that is true. Uh, But (laughs) my point last week was really around more of what uh, motivates these companies to put a focus on privacy and the thing that makes Apple different being that Apple looks at end-to-end privacy uh, encryption, more specifically, as their end goal, really. So Google is structuring their business around the idea that they're going to collect all this information. And although they're not in the business of giving out exactly what they collect, they're not also in the business necessarily or have the top priority, let's say, of ensuring that that data is as safe as possible um, because it is not necessarily um, advantageous for their business plan because they themselves, whether with human eyes or algorithmic eyes, to use a metaphorical term, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. need a way to process all of the data that's coming in from the people that use their websites, their properties, and Android in order to repackage it and sell it as advertising spots. Whereas Apple is much more interested in not knowing anything about what you do with an Apple device or service, right? They haven't reached right. that plateau yet where everything is encrypted, but they are getting there and it's it's just one of their stated goals. It's something that they want to do because they don't want to know anything. There is no business benefit for them to know and mm-hmm. nothing but upside if they don't, right? Because they're, they themselves are marketing themselves as a company that has no interest in your personal information, right? And so mm-hmm. this whole case with the FBI that has come and gone, I guess, for now, is really around what um, what access does Apple have to your data? And the little smidgen of, of access that Apple has right now, for example, all the stuff in iCloud, is a, is a loophole, as in Apple's opinion, that they need to close off, you know? Right. Whereas, um, you know, the... Current modern hardware, like if you were to buy an iPhone 6S today with Touch ID and a, a complex password and a secure element, um, ideally, although <laughs> we're starting to learn otherwise, that data is inaccessible unless you have the Touch ID or the or the password to access it, right? Apple themselves should not be able to access it. Now, if you take an Android phone, like a brand new Samsung S7, there are myriad ways to get into that device. And, and get at the, the data on that. I don't think Google is, is as invested in end-to-end encryption, creating a warrant-proof space, as Apple is. That was That's really my contention. Um, and but I still think you're, you're giving Google a little bit of a, a disservice, doing them a little bit of a disservice here. Uh, your point about them selling aggregates or to, to advertisers, aggregates of data, is, is true. Uh, however, that business 100% complete, completely depends on you typing stuff into their browser or using their Gmail or whatnot and thinking that that's secure. If, if, they ever, if Gmail ever got hacked so that everyone's Gmails got released, then Google would be in big, big trouble. Even though their revenue doesn't immediately depend on that, it depends on the trust that people have in, in using their services that that data is not going to get out. That's true. And so what do you think of when uh, the Edward Snowden revelations came out and we learned that the NSA has pretty much direct access to Gmail and Hotmail and other 
well, web-based email services. Sure, that's that's a that's a different issue. Um, I, I don't think you can you can say that that Google allowed that because they don't care about their customers, though. I mean, I think that's kind of a stretch, or care about their customer security. Uh, uh, actually, that, that's, that's exactly what I assume. Like to me, I think it's like the the NSA either coerced or or hacked Google to get that information. And I don't. Well, it's, it's not. Ju- it's not just that. If I could just interject for a second, because because from what I understand, the NSA has the right or whatever takes the right to inspect any traffic traveling in and out of the United States. So even if I send an email to my sister in Calgary, there's no direct line from my house in Toronto to Calgary. I my traffic is routed through New York or Chicago to her in Montana, and then back up to her in Calgary. So technically, anything I send via the internet goes past the NSA's eyes too. Yeah, that's right. Right, but presumably it uses SSL, so it's encrypted, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. People use SSL all the time. You know, in in my case it does, but because I I have have an encrypted server, but whether my sister uses it or not, I don't know what she uses, right? So... At some point, and that's I think that's what Apple was saying when they they talked about the fact that they would have been, would have been able to get access to the guy's phone if during a backup process, because I think at some point the traffic is is you know interceptable and and readable, but when it's sitting on the disk, it wasn't according to Apple. No, right. Well, I, yeah, they yeah. wanted they they wanted that phone to run a backup to iCloud, so get right. it back on the yeah. network, plug it in, and mm-hmm. it would automatically do that. But then they by then they had already changed the password. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I do know from from talking to other companies that uh, do encryption storage for people on their servers that a lot of times they sign things with an, uh, a unique ID based on a user on the user's account, so that even they can't look at the stuff that's sitting on the server. You know. Um, so that and that's just a you know a, a regular old iOS app. And so I'm sure Apple and Google do the same kind of things, especially with Google having their, their business level service that they do for, for many clients. Right. I mean, the free service, if people don't read the terms, but in the free service, it does say we do have, they can go through your email and look for things like that. But, uh, but in the, in the paid services, I'm sure they don't. Actually, I'm you know? pretty sure the paid services, they do the same thing. It's that part of the think- terms of service of, of Gmail and of Google apps. For business, really, really, yeah. See that, that all the more. There was kind of a never yeah. Put, yeah. I know. <laughs> I would never put my stuff there. You know. Well, you know, and I, I don't want to come off sounding like um, you know. You mean they're reading I our podcast notes? Yeah, I wish. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, but it's it, there was quite the to do about it back when Gmail first arrived on the scene. You know, yeah, of like course, it was yes, very yeah, clear. Yeah, and, and Apple and Apple Google was saying, look, you know, it's not like people are reading your email; it's algorithms. Right. So it's cool, man. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, Do I'm no fine harm. with it because I've got all my email on Google Apps. Really? So, yeah, sure. You know, so I don't want to come off sounding like, you know, I hate Google. I don't. Um, but you, you've got to know what you're getting into when you do business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as I said to you earlier, when we were discussing this uh, via the Twitter machine ourselves. Love the Twitter that, machine. You know, I, think, I think that, you know, Apple goes out of their way to protect our, our, us from ourselves, you know? Well, that's it. And. Um, the the one thing that we often lose track of is is how knowledgeable we are, our community, uh, you, mm-hmm. me, and everyone on this podcast, and well, the people uh, listening to the podcast are are much more aware of these issues than the hundreds of millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, Tim, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. who use these things every day and haven't got a clue what's going on. 
you know, and and so Apple is working for them. Uh, so that's why they they build these tools in to work by default, right? So out of the box, you've got an end-to-end encrypted system that you didn't have to figure out and and set up. It just works. That's what they're going mm-hmm. for at the end of the day. Um, right. And they're not there yet, right? I mean, we talked about the services, but even even something as uh, simple as setting up Touch ID and a non-trivial passcode on your phone, um, even in the age of Touch ID, uh, isn't done by everyone yet. Mm-hmm, Go figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have to opt into it. And Yeah, yeah exactly. it's part of the initial setup process, but I, I imagine many people uh, just hit skip. Yeah. Right? Uh, much to their, their chagrin, <laughs> perhaps down mm-hmm. the road. Um, still. Uh, they're getting there, and uh, the more they can do, the better. But I don't think anybody else is doing uh, or is interested in doing it as Apple is. And that's that's right. all I have to say. That was your that was that your was point. my point. Yeah. That was your point. Okay. If I can interject here, I think a couple things come up to mind when I'm looking when I you know I listen to the episode and I also um, have read the feedback here, and I think there's a bit of conflating uh, across all parties here about security and privacy. So I would agree with this person's assertion here that Google cares very much about maintaining security to that data set, right? Because it doesn't want to be disintermediated as the middleman, right? Like it's the only, it becomes, you know, not useful if they're sharing directly that information, that personally identifiable information about people to others, right? It's, it's incentives are aligned with maintaining absolute security of that data. Uh, the privacy aspect is where people, I think, tend to have the most disagreement about what's the the right thing to do here. So from Google's standpoint, it will keep your information private you know, from others, right? It's not actively sharing that in, in any way and trying to maintain security of, of that data. But it has no incentive to maintain privacy, you know, your privacy to itself, Right. The more that Google knows about you, the better its algorithms get, and the more valuable its you know well secured data is. This is quite in contrast to um, like Apple's incentives, right? Where Apple's incentives are aligned for you know we don't really want to maintain this information because it doesn't do us any good, right? We just want to sell you this premium product. The relationship is very direct and and succinct in there. It's it's much less convoluted. So I think that's kind of where things differ, right? So Apple, you know, its incentives are aligned for let's make privacy and to some extent security for the individual person seamless and easy to use. It's a great selling point, right? There's there's no doubt that it's 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 great and marketable. They severely lack on the security side, right? The fact let's go back to that, that FBI example where the fact that the data was secure and encrypted on the device, but would not have been on the iCloud backup, is incredibly dumb. It's a huge revelation, and I think once that word got around, Apple said, wait a minute, maybe we should encrypt this one too. Like, they didn't totally. even think about it. They didn't even think about it, right? Because it's a slightly different topic for another day, but Apple's whole philosophy around doing things is based on products not services right so they they focus so much on that iphone product and they made that part great and completely blew it on the services side right it's it's unconscionable i can't believe somebody sitting in a design review didn't say hey that's that's a terrible idea and if they did say that then somebody overrode them say well we need to get to market by july or september or whatever the date was it's true you know i'm kind of okay with that though because I think we can all appreciate how large a problem 
security is with air quotes, you know? Um, so it's, it's a giant multi-headed Hydra that can't be killed all in one stroke. They're going to work on it over the years. Like, mm-hmm. just think back to what security was like on the original iPhone or any iPhone really before the, uh, 4S or was it five? No, five S right. With touch ID. Right. It was, it was a joke. Like anybody could break in. Jailbreaks were super common. You notice that like, jailbreaks are not as common or they don't come as quickly anymore because it's getting more secure. Um, and by the same token, Apple will get to this whole iCloud nonsense too. You know, it's it's going to come in time. It's going to get better. And if incidents like this are needed to push them along all the faster, then I'm okay with that too. <laughs> okay. Do you want to move on to real show? Yeah. This is the show, Tim? Yeah. The show? Okay, this the is the show. The whole thing is the show. Okay, everything's the show. Do you want to talk about the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, or do you want, or the iPhone SE at all? Or I think you should talk about it, Tim, because you have the 12. Yeah, that's what I want. IPad I want to hear about that from you, definitely. Okay, well, I was, I was, I did post a couple of things to the show, thinking I was going to be on the show last week, and there's just a couple of notes that I noticed that um, we were talking about memory on the iPad devices and the iPad. Pro 12.9 inch has four gigs of memory, and the new iPad Pro 9.7 inch only has two two, two gigabytes of memory. Ooh. Is that bad or good? That's very bad. Yes, I. That think was it's me bad booing, too. booing Tim. Thank, thank you, thank you. That was and awful. It does have the same. It has the same chip as the uh, 12 or 12 inch. It has the the A9X. However, apparently it's underclocked and it performs slower. And there's a link there from. I put up last week, and also okay. it doesn't it doesn't have USB three transfer speeds, which the iPad Pro twelve inch has as well. Mm. That said, I'm probably going to be getting one anyway. Are you getting one? Well, only because we we just uh, moved our last uh, iPad Mini. Uh, it's been it's been transferred to another family member, and so my wife is without an iPad. And we were talking about it, and uh, oh. she is. I said, you know, what kind of iPad would you like? And she sort of said, well, you know, the iPad Pro nine inch looks pretty good with the ability to support the okay. Apple Pencil, of which we already own, and so on and so forth. Okay, okay. I thought what you were saying is that you would be personally getting the nine point seven when you. have just gotten the 12.9 so <laughs> i thought okay yeah i'm not rushing Are you switching out to do out? it yes no no i wouldn't be switching it no I, you right. know, to be honest with you, the, 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 so there, there is a there is an argument to be said for a difference between the 12 inch and the 9 inch um i think for the average person the 9 inch is probably a better size format for an ipad I, as I, i've always said before i like the mini size myself but you know what for the ipad pro for drawing you know is great for you know browsing magazines and comic books and stuff like that it's great but for sitting on the streetcar and you know pulling it out to read a novel it's kind of dorky right yeah <laughs> yeah but uh but otherwise it's it's nice it's it, I, it's like tra- traveling around with a 13 inch laptop without having to you know worry about the laptop and all its foibles and stuff like that and i can very quickly do things and it's handy to have i do still i still use it every day and, and you know um, it's not my number one computer anymore but still it's 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 always there by my side sort of thing my um, guess is the the differences in the in the chip and the memory are, are just purely cost driven uh, for, yeah, for memory, for memory, it, it may be that because of the much larger screen size and the 12 inch, you have to have that kind of memory to get the performance. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And therefore, it, it drives the price up. But for the 9.7, you can get away with the smaller amount of memory, and it's just fine. And yeah. so they decided to make that compromise. Also for chips, yeah. you know, when when they 
when they make the when they make these chips, there's there's always a distribution uh, when they come out of the fab uh, in in speed, and it's just due to random fluctuations in the manufacturing process. And uh, so one wafer, you know, all the chips will will perform a little bit slower than than all, all the all the chips on a different wafer. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and that, that's pretty well known, pretty well established. And they, people have been doing this for years. That's the reason why you can choose, you know, a, a chip at one one clock speed versus another clock speed, right. because they take them from different ends of the distribution, and they charge less for the for the lower ones. Right. Really, so, I had no idea. Absolutely. So yeah. it's not intentional. No. Wow. Yeah, so I'm interested in that because I, I hadn't actually thought of it being a yield play. Mm-hmm. I just assumed that it was a battery life play since it has physically oh. smaller battery than the 12.9 inch. It could be that as well. Yeah, that's true. It could be that as well. Mm, yep. Interesting. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yep. And a, and a heat issue too, maybe. Yep. But it's interesting that, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and I didn't put these up here. I put them up as points about the fact that it has less memory and a slower chip. Not because I was knocking that, or just I just wanted to open it for discussion, which clearly we just did. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it is an attractive, attractive thing. But I think that a lot of people that I that I've heard around, and and you know, myself having a twelve inch already, I wouldn't swap it out to get this one, even though it's got the cooler uh, display mode, right? Yeah, um, the true tones. True, true tone. Yeah. Hmm. That so, is very interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. And by every report, it seems to work very well, too. It's the thing mm-hmm. I was um, listening to Jason Snell talk about it on the talk show this week. Uh, right. And he's saying uh, their conversation was about comparing True Tone to Night Shift Mode. That came out with 9.3. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And this seems to solve the same problem that Night Shift Mode does, sort of toning it down a little bit, especially at night when you're reading. Um, right. But without the sort of very obvious sort of yellowish cast to the screen. It does right. it in a much more natural way. So. But the true tone is about getting greater depth in in, uh, in in contrast and better colors, right? To match your uh, environment. Oh, is that what it's for? Yeah, oh, true, okay. it's not, the it's whole not, point of true okay. tone is to, is to change the sort of color of the display. So we're right in the sun or you're in a shady spot or, or a day or night kind of thing, right? So, Inside, outside, So, the, so the, the blue dress still looks blue at night kind of thing? I guess so, yeah. That was a long joke. That's long time coming okay didn't get right. it so i'm gonna go with it <laughs> wait, wait, say uh, that again, Tim? i think that I went said, over all of our heads <laughs> i said so so it makes the blue dress look blue at night as opposed to white oh, oh okay. the blue dress i, I know what you're oh, referencing now. You, you said it so fast that my slow brain could not process it but now i totally get it right yep. yeah yeah i get it. it's okay. funny you know i have a, i have a gray scarf that i wear everywhere with me and when i'm at home and we have all these sort of yellow led lights and it looks brown like brownish gray and yet when i'm out in sunlight it looks greenish gray it's a very strange thing so i have the sort of i have my very own blue dress if you will Anyway, um, so speaking of blue, this is this is completely off topic, but I found it kind of interesting. I, I was reading an article last week about they've they've done they being you know scientists, right? Someone Those has guys, done a yeah. study on actually, I guess it would be linguists. Uh, they've done a study on on historical literature and languages, and found that in pretty much every language on Earth, the last color the, that was added to the language was blue. Really, and if you look at very very old texts, they don't talk about blue. They talk about the ocean as being kind of a a, a wine purple, dark purple wine color. Wow, not blue. Really, and so the the current thinking is that humans didn't develop 
the capability to see blue until much later in evolution mm. than, than other colors. It's kind of an interesting thing. That well, blows that my true. mind. Well, that may be true. And there's also, there's also some more um, science uh, stuff, because I studied all this stuff in, in art school and science school and whatever, that, you know, when, peripherally, when you, when you look at color in the periphery, you don't, as, as it moves into the center of your vision, you can't really see red in the peripheral vision. You can see it when you're looking right at it. Right, so you, you can try try that one out. It's kind of interesting. What about the sky? The sky's blue, like yeah, indisputably right. blue. Right, right. But maybe the early humans saw it as sort of just whitish, you know, or gray. Yeah, like or dogs gray. see it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and in and in, in pigment, one of the uh, later colors that wasn't discovered until you know about three or four hundred years ago, like how to reproduce it, was purple, which is mm-hmm. why. Purple was seen as a royal color. Only you know, high people in high standing or or kings or queens could wear could wear purple. Right? Oh, that's interesting. And it wasn't until they they started using coal to make to burn light, and they somebody discovered that the cold pitch that comes off of burning coal when you throw it in water creates purple, and that's how they ended up making purple dyes and stuff. And that was a an industrial revolution discovery. More Very than just code. Well, yeah, yep. but interestingly more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at Jaime just pasted in this thing. You got to put that in the show notes. <laughs> What's that? Hang on. There's a picture of a dog looking like a dummy as dogs do. Roses are great, violets are great. I'm a dog. I'm a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I love dogs so much. Dogs are the best. Roses are great. Yep. Um, <laughs> right. So what? Else? So what about the SE? The iPhone SE? There was a couple of yeah. interesting talks recently about the iPhone SE. I, one I didn't post into the notes today, but I was just reading it. I think I stuck it in my in pocket. Um, somebody was talking about how why he thinks the iPhone SE, even though he's not going to get one, is is a really cool edition. Apple's really done a good job with that because they've been able to cram an iPhone six into a smaller, older style device, right? Um, and that's geared towards. The I believe it was 40 million people who bought four-inch phones last year, and the 300 million people who haven't upgraded to iPhone uh, six sizes because maybe they don't want bigger phones. And notwithstanding the Chinese and Indian markets, um, but there was an interesting piece here by Joe Saplinski from Release Notes. Again, he on his blog post he on his blog he posted about um, he's been wanting an iPhone four for a long or sorry a four-inch phone for a long time because he's not a big fan of the iPhone 6 Plus or the 6. And he's disappointed with this um, offering, not because of the offering, but because he can't use his iPhone upgrade program to buy one. And a number of other points that he has about uh, Yeah, right, phone. right. Yes, indeed. Because um, it's, not a, it's not a premium phone, right? Like, once you get into the iPhone, like, and this is US only, <laughs> yeah. once you get into that iPhone upgrade program, um, you are on track for the top of the line phones, the flagships. Right, right. So uh, this is not one of those. Right. And so when it comes down for from dollars and cents for him to break out of his plan, he's got a six plus right now. For him to break out of that plan, it's going to cost him an, uh, an arm and a leg, you know, in terms of dollars and cents. And then you know, even even more than the phone's worth, I think it's worth about four hundred dollars US, if I'm not mistaken. This the SE uh, is starts at four hundred dollars US. Starts at four hundred. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah, the 16 so. gig version, but one thing that uh, Joe Saplinski said in that article, uh, he said it would cost him $900 because he made that assumption based on what he felt he could get for his 6s uh, right. by selling to Gazelle, um, right. which is the absolute worst way to make money from selling your your phone. 
in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So his his probably nine hundred dollar iPhone six S Plus, um, maybe a thousand dollars. Who knows? He feels he can, or he saw that he could get three hundred and something for it on right, Gazelle. Right. Six months later, give me a break. You could sell that phone for way more than that, more than double, if you sell it privately. Mm. So rerun that calculus. Go to Kijiji. Have a look. Oh, sorry. In the states, go to eBay or Craigslist. Whatever. <laughs> don't go to go, don't go to Gazelle or like, that other place. Yeah, I don't offer even know. up. Um, <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, don't go to them. Jeez, <laughs> definitely don't go to them. Um, sorry, Jaime. How's it going over there? Good, good, good. Okay, <laughs> I'm doing all right. Uh, so, I, I do think the Gazelle thing, like they don't give you the top price. But it sort of depends on what your desire for the experience is, and and honestly, your time, right? So if you're like, you know what, I barely have enough time to do to do work, life, and other things. Like, yeah, they send me a box, I put it in a box, I toss it in the mail, and everything's great. Uh, that, you know, what's your hourly wage sort of thing could come into play. It's like, look, okay, so I could spend this amount of time. I could post it on something like a Craigslist or eBay or OfferUp or in the canadian uh regions kijiji apparently is like the thing sure Hells, yeah. and then go and meet somebody and do these other things and flaky buyers and other bits like maybe it works out maybe it doesn't depending on your lifestyle to me though it's like that is such a difference though like it's costing you a lot of money like a lot of money like and even like it it may not be like a solid calculus if you worked out by the hourly rate of whatever you value yourself at um but to me it's like I, you know, I just, I, you know, in principle, I cannot give up that kind of uh, dollar amount um, by giving it to Gazelle. It's just too much. Yeah, it, it, a little bit more effort will get you more money is what you're saying, right? Dramatically more money, I think. Yeah. Like, Kijiji, you spend, you know, five minutes uh, making a posting. Um, and if it's, the, if it's the right price, you can have emails in your inbox within the hour. Um, I've sold... I sold a number of articles, let's just say, and uh, and had that experience. Um, you know, I, I put a an old MacBook that I had on Kijiji uh, at a at a fairly competitive price, I thought, and it turned out to be true because uh, I had sold it that night and was telling people for the next couple of hours, please stop emailing me. It's this, this thing is sold. So, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, don't don't just give up on selling it privately. That's what I would like to say. Like just just because a lot of people use Gazelle doesn't mean that you ought to. You're going to lose a lot of money doing that. And what do you think about the iPhone SE? I think it's uh, it's gorgeous looking and not for me. Uh, so <laughs> um, yeah, we we talked about this last week. And Mark, um, Mark, you were saying that you you didn't think that this thing was going to stick around. Or sorry, opposite that it was in fact going to stick around for a long time. Right? That we're going to see this no. phone for. No, no, no. I thought I well. The form factor, yeah, but not this particular model. Uh, yeah. Oh, you think I, they're going to switch out the guts? I think they'll have a four-inch model going forward. Yes, but not necessarily this one. Probably See, not I, this that's, one. That's what I wonder. Like, are are they going to update the internals of this phone every year, or are, is this what we're going to have for the next two to three years? And uh, that's we discussed this last week, but you know, I don't I don't have any particular strong feelings about it. Um, but I mentioned the talk show uh, with Jason Snell, who was on it with John Gruber last this last week, and uh, their assumption, Jason Snell's assumption, and this is a guy who knows his business. <laughs> uh, he he is under the assumption that this phone is going to stick around for a good long time, um, like iPad two sort of long time. And mm. uh, 
So that would be unfortunate, right? Because, you know, you could buy this phone today and that'd be fine, right? Because I think today this phone represents a terrific deal. Um, you know, if, if you're cool with a four inch phone, then you're spending, uh, starting at $400 US, um, you're getting a very current technology phone. You know, next year it's going to look a lot worse and the year after that it's going to look way worse. You know, I guess the, the iPad Air 2 is a good example of that, right? When that came out, it was kind of ahead of its time. And mm-hmm. that was two years ago. And now it's it's fine, but it has been superseded. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting play. I follow along um, Ben Thompson's Stratechery podcast. And I think I agree with the assertion that the uh, the I and iPhone SE stands for India, right? Like this, this gives them a much lower you know, entry-level price for what is, you know, it's still a high-end phone. It's on the lower end of high-end, especially as it goes forward. And just assume it's like that for a year to 18 to 24 months. But it's it really puts heavy price pressure on the premium Android phones. It's like, look, I can get, you know, an almost top-of-the-line iPhone for $400. Why would I pay you chumps 300 to 450 It's like, that's dumb. Mm. Right? The only reason I'm buying this, uh, assuming I wasn't into the, um, you know, the, the particular configurability and, and other aspects, you know, the tweakability of, of Android. It's like, look, the only reason I bought this phone is because I couldn't afford iPhone. I couldn't afford 650. I can afford 400. Right? Hmm. There's there's a right. whole class exactly. of people yeah. for whom yeah. that's true. And that's what I was saying. The, the the 40 million that bought phones last year and that size and. Yeah, and and of course, you know the 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 if you want to buy it on a contract, it's probably going to come quite quite a bit down as well, right? It's zero dollars on contract. Is it? Well, yeah, there you go. They said that themselves at the the uh, talk. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think you know I think it's going to do well. I think you're going to see them a lot in the wild uh, right. for years to come. You know, they said themselves that uh, last year they sold thirty million four inch phones, uh, which would have been the five S, right? Um, and that was that was an out of date phone, you know, by all measures. Uh-huh. Uh, so uh-huh. having you know that same size available and, and everything we've heard about people preferring smaller phones, uh, plus having it be at a competitive price and with current specs, I think it's going to do very well. I'm sure Apple's depending on that, and it's not just in India. I'm sure it'll do fine in India, but I think it's going <laughs> to do well in North America too. So smart move by Apple. Uh, do we want to talk about the broken link thing that uh, Jaime put in here? Yeah, I guess. Oh, I mean, how many should talk about that? Call. Yeah, that was that was going around. I, I didn't personally run into this myself, but there was early on reports of like, oh my gosh, like iOS 9.3 is completely broken links. I can't tap on a link from Safari. I can't tap on links from Mail or iMessage, right. so on and so forth. And after, uh, and we'll have this in the show notes, after a whole bunch of like looking into this, um, there is one example app that is, um, you know, if you have this and have used it, apparently there's this is going to cause you trouble. But this isn't like a case where it's only this app. It's essentially right. any app that exhibits this kind of behavior. And what is that behavior? Well, everybody remember iOS 9 came out with the universal app links and how awesome that is. You know, yep. you kind of put a little bit of, of a like an index file on your website and iOS says, oh, great. Like, you know, instead of opening this up in a web page, why don't we just take you directly to the app, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, uh, in this case, booking.com, their file for that is like five megs or something. I, I can't remember the exact <laughs> number. Uh, it's somewhere in the article. And in any case, it's not, you know, a few hundred kilobytes or even tens of kilobytes that you would expect, right? Uh, okay. what, what booking.com did in this case, the reason they got to that large size is... They put 
the URL structure for like every you know resort and hotel that they deal with, right? So <laughs> <laughs> booking.com slash Seattle slash Hilton on the corner of you know Fourth and Main, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. so on and so forth for like Timbuktu, Mumbai, Toronto. Heaven only knows. I haven't looked at the file myself. Um, this is problematic apparently because iOS nine does not protect against this sort of you know I would say accidental misuse right like I don't think there's anything in the docs anywhere that say hey by the way this thing can only be a hundred lines long or it can only be up to a megabyte in size you know I think ideally the booking.com folks and, and for developers out there you probably should be using you know wild cards right so like seattle and then star right so at least it limits the size of that file down to like on a per city basis or on a country basis or whatever makes sense for your url structures right like going the brute force route of listing out every possible you know item that you have is just like unreasonable but i would also shake my fist at apple like hey guys why didn't you protect against this right this should fail somewhere either ios itself should protect against this or at least put it in you know app review where there's some automated tool that says no reject it your file is too big maximum size is one megabyte or 100 lines or whatever the case may be yeah. my guess is apple, they, apple didn't know themselves right they they didn't test for that yeah oh here you yeah. go the list was 2.3 megabytes in size so it wasn't that it was causing a problem; it was just taking a long time for this particular file to download. Is that what the issue was? I, I think the way that it is implemented, and I, and I don't know the internals of what's happening here, but um, the, the size of the uh, file somehow gets you. Just look at like you know, just speculate. It could be a performance issue where hey, like the JavaScript processing for this thing is taking so long that is probably making your phone warm and probably not updating the UI while it's. You're really spending all of its time trying to handle this thing, and then poops out, and you're just stuck. Maybe even crashes your phone. Hmm. Or just maybe it's a timeout, right? It, as it goes to try to fetch that file, if it's set to a shorter timeout, it might never show. Might never arrive. Yeah, so it's it's a bummer. Um, I'd say uh, you know Apple and its hand. You know we can't control that, but they really should. You know, dedicate more time and effort to thinking about and testing and protecting against these things. But for developers. Um, you know, we need to think about like, okay, yes, there are easy ways to handle things, but taking just a little bit more time on our side where possible to say, hey, like, what's what's an elegant or better solution for this? And just assume that the other side is also comprised of developers who also have very similar strict timetables and limited resources and just, you know, be like a good, uh, a, a good citizen per se, right? Like, th- this is the sort of thing that, uh, unfortunately, um, unintentional or not causes us to like all suffer right like um i'll take for example this is a little bit of soapboxing here remember when you could just get access to the context information without oh yeah go through the whole permissions jump through because apple trusted us and there was one particular app path that um (laughs) that ruined it for everybody and now it's much more painful and it's probably the way it should have been if you go from a make it hard for developers to do the incorrect thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But hey, you know, I don't, I don't want to jump through a hundred lines of code just to show like one little message dialogue. Right. Totally. I'm off my soapbox now. Well, that was good. A little high up there, eh? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. By the way, have you moved to the new contacts framework? Uh, It's, it's way better than the old AB address book in terms of that stuff. Cool. I I have not, I've, I've had, uh, I've not had the opportunity or wherewithal to to make use of that.
Make your plans now to come to Nashville, Tennessee and attend the best tech conference being held this year. Indie DevStock isn't just about learning the latest Apple frameworks or how to program in Swift. Indie DevStock is about making connections. Our speakers will share their stories, experiences, and ideas with you. Through their words, you'll gain a better understanding of the challenges indies face and, more importantly, how to overcome them. It doesn't matter if you're currently a successful indie developer, just starting out, or trying to decide if going indie is right for you. We're all in this together. In addition to the inspiration talks, you'll also have an opportunity to attend hands-on tech talks to help level up your skills. During this two-day event, not only will you get to experience Southern hospitality at its finest, but you'll also get to hear some of the best live music around while enjoying all Nashville has to offer. For more information and to buy your ticket, go to www.indiedevstock.com. We hope to see you there. Uh, so let's go through the group and see if we have any sex selections, as Greg put it last week. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> what was that? That was a Freudian slip. <laughs> what did I say? Let's go through the group and, and see, see if we have any that. sex. <laughs> what? Selections, I said. Yes, selections. that was your second attempt. I heard that. <laughs> I said it the first time, too. Sure you did, Tim. Okay. You right. can hear it on the tape. <clears throat> anyway, so... And I'm, I'm laughing here because I noticed that one of our members here has more than one pick because he's been he's been uh, on the shows when he's not here. All right, so Eric, do you have uh, any picks for us this week? I've got two. Oh, you do? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I haven't used either of these things, but uh, two very interesting pieces of news came out today uh, from in the software world. The first from uh, Microsoft's Build 2016 conference. They did a keynote address today that lasted apparently. Uh, many hours and uh, covered a whole gamut of things that Microsoft's working on. But one in particular caught my eye, and that is with the new version of Windows 10 that's coming, um, Anniversary Edition, I believe it's called, that one of the features of that operating system release is the ability to run Linux in Hmm. Windows. So with uh, an installation that you get, like it's basically a binary, uh, it brings in Ubuntu, Ubuntu Linux, and mm. you just use it as if you're on a Linux machine. Now, this is command line only, so it's not like you can get, um, you know, Xterm or whatever they're calling it these days uh, to have a graphical user interface. Uh, this is just the command line, but uh, let's face it, that's what we use Linux for. And so mm-hmm. you can quite readily uh, do anything, anything that you want on Windows in Linux that you could on an actual real live Linux installation. So the possibilities are quite extraordinary to think about. Having a Linux machine, or sorry, a Windows machine, all right, uh, that can run Linux natively. Natively. I don't understand the technology side of it too well, but the uh, the article that's linked here by uh, Scott Hanselman is... 
uh, provides some of the details here about how it's implemented, which goes over my head. The point being that you can treat this as a native Linux install within Windows somehow. So, you know, you hit you hit the command key on your Windows machine, you type in bash, the born again shell, and you're good to go. You are in Linux, basically. That's it. And this is just right alongside all the other crap that's on your Windows machine. <laughs> um, it's really mind-blowing because, you know, as, as developers, uh, at least for myself, I can only speak for myself, I don't regard Windows as a viable developer platform, you know, like a place where you can actually do development work. And I came to that conclusion while being a web developer um, because, you know, the Mac uh, being a Unix machine is the same stuff that you're using to serve from. And mm-hmm. so how could you how could you develop on Windows where, you know, it's basically this proprietary weird uh, <laughs> platform to develop for the web on. Um, but now, here we are, we can actually treat Windows like another Linux environment. And, you know, thinking further ahead here, there's no reason that you couldn't get uh, a Swift environment set up on Windows and write Swift and develop Swift, build Swift applications on Windows inside that Linux environment. Um, why not? So <laughs> um, there's, you know, I don't know if this is going to turn into anything, if it's going to mean anything, if it's going to change the fortunes of Windows among developers. But um, if it were going to change somehow, it might be through a move like this. It's very interesting. Hmm. You guys, Did you guys hear about this? I heard the headline, but I didn't know the underlying technical implementations i just assumed it was hyper v and i'm very shocked yeah, to hear it's that not. it's not yeah it's not yeah it's not yeah so it's not sitting in a vm at all no it's not sandboxed like you have access to your operating system go to slash mnt slash c and that's your hard drive <laughs> uh how freaky is that so that was very cool my uh, second is. pick yeah oh sorry go ahead no let's let's exhaust oh. this one <laughs> sorry about that i, I, I think it's um to give at least my opinion on you know answering some of your questions you propose there is one i think it's hugely um symbolically important for microsoft to be making this sort of move right this is something you could not have imagined 5 10 15 20 years ago um corporate philosophy is much different under satya nadella right um they're they're much more open to this sort of thing so i think that's a good at least symbolic you know, improvement or change at the very least. I think part of the reason why they did this is because the environment has changed so much where, you know, so much of the development that people are doing is uh, ultimately put out there on the cloud somewhere, right? Um, You might be developing on a Mac or you might be developing on a Linux box, and then you're ultimately pushing it to probably some sort of Linux box, right? There there is Windows Server out there for for some environments, but the lion's share is Linux-based stuff, right? Like, take AWS as an example. And what do you want as a developer? I think you really want something that you can run locally that is as close to what is going to be put out there in, on the server farm or on the cloud, whatever have you, because it's it's a lot harder to debug if you're like, mm, well, I'm going through this crazy VM. Does that cause any issues? I'm going through all these other different hoops, and my environment is locally is completely unlike what's actually going to be running out there. It's super hard to, to debug. I think this is a, a huge move from that respect of making it so developers have the option of saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to do a lot of AWS work. Maybe I don't need an Ubuntu box. Maybe I don't need a Mac. Maybe I could buy that Windows machine. 
it gives people options at the very least. Especially in the enterprise where, where most people still have Windows boxes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what happens with that. Second pick? My second pick is another thing that was announced today from a little-known company in Cupertino, California, Apple. They have come out with a new browser. Um, well, okay, not entirely new, but it's called Safari Preview Edition. Or, sorry, well, that's what I see it named here. Uh, mm-hmm. When I have it in my dock, it's called Safari Technology Preview. And this is a new, <laughs> I guess, a new effort from Apple to have a forward-looking Safari that that can be put in the hands of web developers to give them access to up-and-coming technologies that are going to be part, eventually, of mainstream Safari. So, um, believe it or not, uh, web standards are continuing to change and um and be adopted. And um, for web developers to build against those technologies, uh, they need access to a browser that supports them before everybody else gets their hands on them, uh, especially when these technologies are sort of still in development, uh, still being approved, uh, still being hashed out. So that's what uh, Safari Technology Preview is all about. Um, you can go to, anybody can do this. You can go to the uh, Apple developer site. We can put the link in the show notes there. Um, actually, the link I have is for an article about it, uh, but it has a link to uh, Apple's site where you can download this browser. You get the uh, the app, install it, and then from the point you install it, what they're doing is they're going to update it every two weeks. Okay, And although you're downloading it from Apple's website, they say that you're going to get the updates through the Mac App Store. That's weird, but okay. <laughs> so you don't download it from the Mac App Store. But you update through that. Um, and so that's going to get an update every two weeks. And the stuff that's in here um, is a new uh, in- implementation of JavaScript in here, uh, which is supposedly going to be faster. A, compile- a JavaScript compiler called B3, a low-latency engine that cleverly optimizes page load, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and there's going to be other stuff too, of course. So uh, to my mind, as a past web developer... Uh, I gotta say, the coolest thing about this thing is the the icon. Uh, it's a gorgeous purple. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's magpie purple. It is kind of mag. They stole it. Oh well, uh, get it it's for that royal, if nothing else. Royal purple. And um, you know, you can. Uh, it, it automatically picks up your bookmarks. By the way, your favorites. Uh, so uh, you could be up and running in Safari Technology Preview in no time flat. <laughs> so um, give it a shot if uh, if you're into that. And uh, I just thought it was very interesting. This is, you know, a, another sign of Apple opening up to the public with its yeah. uh, with its technology releases. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I, I it, to this day, I mean, I had a customer call me today and say they were trying to do something on a website, and they switched out to Firefox or Chrome, and miraculously it started working. Mm. It just seems that to this day, people are still not supporting Safari, and I wonder if this is another way of Apple opening up. You know their tools mm. to 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 win uh, win markets that they're being ignored in right it I mean, does make like me wonder the, yeah it's not like they're the biggest company in the world or anything like that you know <laughs> well their browser is not the biggest browser in the world that there's no, no question no. about that like That's on the true. on the desktop at least um yeah. obviously we can see somewhat different about mobile all right but there I'm are done. many many yeah <laughs> yeah yeah all right, so uh Jaime, um greg of course as you know had 13 picks last week so oh i thought it was 18 was it 18? I, I lost It might have been 20. It was 13 US, 18 Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. All right. You win, Jaime. Go ahead. <laughs> so were you shaking your fist at the radio last week? Yes, and the week before when Greg, like, 
actually mentioned that fact. <laughs> I'm sure he's doing the same right now. He's uh, en route, uh, migrating, as it were, to the United States. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. Before you guys put the wall up, yeah. That's good, but I think uh, it might be troubling for him that he went from being under CIA and NSA watch to FBI's. So, I want to make sure you upgrade that phone if you haven't already, Greg. (laughs) Alrighty, Jaime, take it away. Uh, So, I have uh, two picks. Um, The first one is uh, one of Apple's own tools, NS Curl. So, setting the context for folks, Hmm. I don't know if anybody had to deal with the App Transport Security or ATS. Yeah, uh, in iOS nine and uh, all the wonderful fun of like, oh no, we, you know, all my stuff is broken. I have to add all these crazy exceptions. It's kind of preferable for you not to do that. It's better for you to, if you can, you know, if you control the servers, it's better for you to make sure that everything is happy and fun, all the way and secure all the way through, right? Mm-hmm. So using mm-hmm. TLS, whatever version is like one point two or two point one, something two, of that two nature. Yeah, it's so two point X. Okay, yes. right. Um, but not, not everything's like that, and I, I think it's really easy to get into the trap of, oh, man, this is a hassle, whatever, just add the exception and ignore all, right? Just, just <laughs> allow everything to go, because that will work, right? And if you're under not a time, so loud. People will hear you say that. Under yeah. a time crunch, and, and I totally understand that. Um, but, you know, NS Curl has the ATS Diagnostics um, option that is fantastic for testing oh, out cool. whatever it is, right? So they show the example right here in the docs that are going to be in the show notes where uh, doing the ATS diagnostics for something like apple.com and it will show you like what does it pass, what does it fail on, what exception would you have had to add? Hmm. Um, and I'll give you an example of, of one thing that you know I had to deal with, which was um, the AWS configuration not supporting perfect forward secrecy. Right. Um, or PFS, if, if folks know about that. So it uh, turns out um, it's only like a 5 to 15 minute you know, bit of effort to change that sort of configuration on AWS. And I think newer um, EC2 instances actually do support this right out of the gate. So the problem is getting easier over time. Um, but this tool is super helpful for, for figuring out what that is and working with your your backend team, or if you are the backend team, helping you understand what you need to do to make sure that everything is secure. And let's be honest, eventually this ATS stuff will be mandatory through Apple's bits, right? Like they're giving us a little bit of grace period here, but I can see sometime in iOS 10 or 11, they will eventually make this mandatory. So the sooner you get on the train, the better. I don't know that they can actually make it mandatory since there are so many third-party servers that people have to talk to. It would break a lot of things, but but I take your point. Yeah, this this tool would have been incredibly useful uh, for me uh, a few months back when this stuff first started coming out. There was there was a lot of trial and error of you know which which of these options am I not or which of these requirements am I not uh, satisfying and and that the forward secrecy one was was a big one that was always the last one you tried and that was always the one uh, that uh, that was the pro- that seemed to be the problem and at least in, in my case. So having that tool telling me that right away without having to guess for hours would have been really nice yeah i was in the same boat as well and and um yeah for me it was the forward secrecy and and the tls 2.0 that's why i know about that yep because we had to go in and can change the configuration on our backend server to make that work so yep yeah and it's kind of fun trying it out on on different you know api endpoints or servers um i'll put one here for the show notes that's fun uh the cat api which is kind of a sneaky 1.5 pick. So if you need 
Damn you, Lopez. RESTful API. Some sort of RESTful API that you want to go hit. Uh, the CAT API is great because it has all sorts of docs for um, returning uh, XML, JSON data, that sort of thing. Um, so if you want to test out something like Alamo Fire or whatever the flavor of the week might happen to be, uh, you really <laughs> want to learn how to use NSURL session, great. Um, here's a nice open API that gives you fun images of cats. Every day so, is Catterday. Shadow pick the catapi.com. Uh, try out the NSCurl tool on it. It'll it'll be fun. Uh, another uh, thing along those lines, I just posted this into the into the uh, the sh- well, uh, Tim, you can put this in the show notes. This link, uh, Ed, we can make it my pick while we're at it since I don't have another one. Uh, <laughs> if you go to this website, you can type in it's www.sslabs.com/sltest/index.html. Uh, if you you go to there and you type in any host name for a website, it'll go and do an analysis of what you know what level of TLS is it supporting, is Forward Secrecy turned on, and all that kind of stuff. And it also gives it you know a grade saying how secure it is, but you know that may not be the most useful thing. So <laughs> this this is pretty useful for just figuring out you know what's going on when when things just flat out don't work with ATS. So it's kind of the server side equivalent maybe of of, uh, of what uh, Jaime's pick is doing. And all this information is stored by the NSA when you when you do these searches, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've used similar similar sites like this. Actually, when I was when we were debugging the ATS stuff when it first came out, um, I found a couple of sites that, that let us uh, figure this stuff out and figure out why we were we were failing. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff, which is cool, and it's also good for finding out when your certificates expire and all that kind of stuff, which you can do by you know right clicking on the little lock as well. Um. My pick is going to be something very similar, and it, and it whoa, has to whoa, do... whoa, 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 Mitra. Tim is well, chomping at the bit here to he get really his pick. really is. But I still but. have another pick. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the KWP <laughs> was a shadow pick. Uh, my second pick is oh, that uh, was, something Oh, I, that was 1.5. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something I tweeted sorry, about um, and heard from uh, Mr. Vey here is my uh, swank-looking Hermes knockoff band for the Apple Watch. So, um, if you remember, there was a, a fancy cuff, there was like the double loop, and there was like a kind of a more normal band for the the Hermes. Uh, you could spend, yeah. uh, was it like $1,000, maybe 1500 US yeah. to yeah. join that business? Or you could be like me and uh, spend $29.90 US uh, on Amazon to get a uh, knockoff. That's also made of leather. It looks, uh, to my untrained eye, you know, reasonably close. And it uh, it looks swanky, according to Mr. Do, do you have one of these? I he do. He posted so, it on Twitter. He posted yeah, a picture. So, yeah, a buddy of mine has one of those at work, too. Yeah, so this is from V. Moro. Um, apparently only available in the United States. So I apologize yeah. to the Canadian no. audience. No, 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 no. We have, one. we have a Canadian that has one. Oh, so yes, there's a similar one. There's a there's a Moco brand one that's, that looks very similar. It is $25.99 Canadian. Um, your mileage may vary because I have not used that one. Um, the one I have has has lasted and survived so far. It's only been three or four days, probably total time. So hopefully, oh, really? okay. hopefully oh, a month okay. from now, I can do a follow up and say, "Hey, it uh, it's still working, or it turned into absolute dust." <laughs> yeah, what was That's interesting cool. about it is the fact that it has a hole in the back so that you can it actually can still read your heart rate and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and as we all know, those of us who have watches, it has to touch your skin to be able to work, right? That's yeah, exactly absolutely. Right. And it it feels, you know, really good on the wrist. It's kind of swanky, so I wear it whenever I want to like 
class it up a little bit more than just the uh, <laughs> black fluorelastomer band that I have. Um, I will say it's slightly uncomfortable to wear at home because it is such a large thing that, you know, I tend to be putting laundry away or maybe I'm trying to read a book or doing, you know, whatever. It's not great for that. I think this is the sort of thing you use when you want to gussy up a little bit uh, going out. Yeah, it's, it's it's huge, right? Like, that's the thing that gets me about the hair maze band is how just, like, it's a thing that, like, is like a clamp on your wrist. But kind of cool. Kind of cool. I don't think it's it's for me. I don't think it's my style. I could get away with that. But um, that was a cool picture that you posted, Jaime. Yeah, thank you. I'll, I'll uh, see if I can find the tweet and we can put that in the show notes. Um, yeah. And uh, bonus, I have a third pick here. Damn you, Lopez! I've, I've been out for uh, a couple of weeks now, so I feel kind of bad for the listening audience. Um, <laughs> that would be the Google Cardboard SDK for iOS. Right. So Everybody remembering Google Cardboard started on Android, moved to iOS, where you can have the, what is it, like $20, $25 Viewmaster type uh, piece of cardboard that has, mm-hmm. you know, you put in your phone and that turns it into a VR, a very poor man's, uh, poor person's VR My goodness. unit. Um, Way to be gender inclusive on that. Things, by the way, now, yeah, go ahead. Cool. <laughs> Cool, great, and hopefully this opens up the the possibilities for folks because uh, so far, if you've wanted to join the um, cardboard experience as a developer, you pretty much only had the route of going through Unity, and uh, not everybody oh, knows see, right, knows right. that. I mean, a lot of game developers for sure use Unity, but um, your typical iOS developer, such as myself, has zero experience in that sort of thing, right? Um, now Google has a native uh, Objective C. SDK for iOS, and they've got these fun little um, reference apps that you can try out. Um, the one that caught my attention was the Starfield one, which you know you, mm. you look at that thing and you're kind of just going through this you know field of stars, and it kind of makes you want to say you know space the final frontier is what it makes <laughs> you feel. It's great, so I'm, I'm glad to see this sort of thing come up. Now, hmm. do you have to actually buy the cardboard in different sizes for different phones? In other words, is there a six plus version, or is there and is there a SE version that are different? Well, I have I have two versions of it. Um, generally generally speaking, they're built for the big phones. But like my, I have a an OtterBox case on my six, and I have a ViewMaster one. But I have to so I have to take it out of the case to put it in the in the ViewMaster because it goes inside. But the one my wife picked me up last week, it just has a Velcro strap on the back, so I can actually use it with the case without the case on it. So you do sort of, I, I think, some, depending on your case, you might have to take it out and to get it to fit. But some, like some of them, just strap on the back. But the the cardboard one, the actual physical cardboard one that you get from Google that you fold up and with the, comes with the lenses and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. that one you have to put the phone in the inside, right? As well, right, right. So. Yeah, so there's a whole bunch of companies making them now, but and it's pretty cool. I've you know kind of used it, and there's a there's like a a, a button on the side t- uh, normally that you push, and it, it has like a little um, sort of finger, if you will, that taps on the screen at a certain at a, in the center of the screen to indicate you've you've made a selection. So as long as as long as that can make contact with the glass on the on the iPhone, you know whatever case you're using, it'll it'll work. So yeah, mm-hmm. follow me. Mm-hmm. All right. Jaime, do you have any more picks? I do not have any more picks. That's wild. I feel so bad. Yeah. No, no, you should feel good. Tim, what's your okay. pick? Well, so uh, I just have to raise a question here. So you, you, you whoa, 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 whoa'd me, but you didn't whoa, 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 Mark. Why would I have whoa'd him? 
Probably don't know. Because I woed you because I knew that Jaime had one more pick. Oh, yeah. You you jumped ahead of him. And so did Mark. But my pick was related to Jaime's pick. (laughs) So was mine. Oh. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, my, my pick was just going to be Charles, and I think we talked about Charles on the on the show before. And Charles Proxy, do... Charles Proxy. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so we had a situation the other day where we were dealing with uh, we weren't sure whether the code was bad or the server was getting the wrong message or sending back the wrong message. So we had no way to determine it. So how I solved it was by using Charles Proxy to capture the data coming from the phone going to the server and back see what the request and response were, you read the cookies or whatever data traffic was going back and forth and was able to solve a huge problem with an app store build without having, you know, because I couldn't test this particular scenario in Xcode with a, with a simulator build or with, well, even with a simulator build, I could see the same stuff, but I had to diagnose it on the app store build, which was really difficult. That's powerful software. Charles Proxy. Kind of chaps my ass a little bit, though, that it's Java. Oh, I don't think that doesn't bother me at all. No, don't don't no. you just get a little, you know, grit your teeth a little when you see Java apps well, loading up on you your know, Mac? I, I I do have I do have um, issues with Java, but there's a lot of Java running on on our devices. Still. Oh, are we there's saying it wrong like right now? Let's oh, say Java. Yes. it's not Java. Java. It's Java. 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 There are lots Java. of Java apps running on there's our machines Java here. Java. Oh. Yeah. Let's go back to the valley. It's like so for sure Java. Yeah. Like totally. Okay. Tag me with a spoon. <laughs> After each <laughs> For sure, for sure. All right. So, Aaron, if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to their computers. Go to Twitter. Look at, at Aaron Vey. You will find me. I will be there looking back at you from the darkness. All right. And Jaime Lopez, Jr., if people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? On Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. And Mr. Mark Rubin? Sorry, Send an email at markr at smapsoft.com. All right, my name is Timitra. I am T I M M I T R A on Twitter and my website, it guy.com. And of course, you can reach any of us on. And we love your feedback, you know, whether it's a review on the iTunes store, which we get immediately, or uh, feedback on our website, which we read and respond and that kind of stuff regularly. So send totally. us some feedback. Send us some feedback. Love your feedback. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Right, good night. All right, bye. Goodbye. You've just experienced the More Than Just Code the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you'll find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, picks for the episode, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website and write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. Thanks again for listening. Hey, is this for reals? This, um, 
iBooks now using iCloud to back up all your stuff. Is that sorry? What in nine point three? Okay, iBooks has iCloud support now. Oh, I, I don't know if I heard that or not. Hmm. Yes, your entire freaking library is stored in iCloud now. This is something I've been waiting for Apple to do for ages. For iBooks, really? Yeah. So, like, like if I'm reading this right, it's like. It's like how how you say in English. It's like in Crab. Uh, no, I wasn't looking for that. I was looking for a comparison to what they do for photos and music. Oh, look! Books use iCloud. Cloud. Use iCloud. Cloud. Yeah. Wow. So this is a huge problem, or this was a huge problem for me. So much so that I moved away from iBooks. Really. On my iPad, because your your books that you acquire from other sources, like, you know, I buy from, um, yeah. what's the name of that? I can't remember. The other book, uh, they sell books, okay? <laughs> uh, DRM free. Pragmatic no, no, not Kindle. Um, like, um, yeah, for example. Um, that's one. Amazon. And uh, I was thinking of science fiction in particular, and I can't remember the name of the site. But it doesn't matter. The point is, is that there are other sources than the iBook store for yeah. getting EPUBs. Yeah. And... I like to read them in iBooks, but when I take my own EPUBs and put them into iBooks, yeah. if I, in the future, restore my iPad, your books that you stuff into iBooks are not preserved. They're not oh, made right. yeah, for backup. Just, they disappear, right. which is just insane. But you can but put now, them on uh, iBooks on the Mac and then sync them, right? No. No, you couldn't. Yeah. Why not? Well, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sync. They wouldn't sync. Your own books don't sync. There was no sync. That's a thing. It's only now, if I'm reading this right, where they will store your books in the cloud, all of them. Hmm. Hmm. But there is sync between iBooks and your and on the Mac and the iPad. But only for books that you've purchased from the iBooks store. No. Well, that's the way it was. That's the way it was. I literally, I literally just Not opened true. up the- <laughs> because I've done it. I mean, it's it actually you got to jump through through uh, hoops. It's not it's not uh, obvious how to make it work, but it worked. But you can do it. It must be really unobvious. Yeah, yeah it is pretty unobvious. Actually. Well, like I just said, I just I just after Aaron said that, I updated to nine point three a couple of days ago, and I just went to iBooks and it said use iCloud. Yes, I just like got that, that too. And this is a tweet that I'm seeing from friend of the show, Farley Caesar, who is mm-hmm. tweeting the very same thing from his iPad. And he says, finally. <laughs> At long last. At long last. And here it is. So I've got to try this out. I can't do it now. It's, you know, I'm podcasting right now, Tim. I'm a very busy man. Mm-hmm. But once I do, I'm going to go into hyphen, which is my current EPUB reader. Yeah. I can get my stuff out of there and put it back into iBooks. And see if it works. Yes, sir. So it didn't use iCloud to sync. It just uh, it just it synced just directly sunk. from your Mac to iBooks to your iPad. Mm. Which is not optimal. But I've done it. Yeah. He's done it. All right. We'll see. We'll see. Well, we won't. Well, what we're going to see now no, is no, how it works to. with iCloud. I'll put all my stuff in iCloud. Here it comes. So Jaime, what's going on? So Mark, I'm uh, I'm looking at the test results for that SSL Labs. I ran it on yeah. the catapi.com, and they get a uh-huh. C because they uh, C, really? do not support uh, TLS 1.2. They support oh. weak Diffie-Hellman. 
DH key exchange parameters and all sorts of other things. So the the kitties yeah. are in danger apparently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'll they'll be fine. The cats are all right on the internet. That's that's the thing about cats. Oh hey, you know, yeah, they, me, they control the internet. Those cats. So they do. They'll be fine. They will be fine. <sighs> you know, well, actually, I actually spent. I spent like a couple of working days trying to get a site that I was working on to give me an A on that test, Mark. Um, oh, really? It can happen. Hmm. <laughs> uh, it, they asked for a lot, though, to get that. So the burning question for you guys, though, is did you did you see Greg's Swift style talk on the Beijing Swift Summit? I have not. I've oh. got it in Magpie, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh. Yeah, Greg's talk got published uh, just this week. Oh. When he did the one he did in China, so it's it's the only thing it's uh, disappointing. There's no Chinese audio feed over top of it, but Alas. there is Chinese there is Chinese subtitles and English subtitles. <laughs> okay, well, guys, I got to take off. Boy, it's late. See what you guys do to me. Keep me up super it's late. Ten thirty. I know. Okay. <sighs> anyway, you guys have a great night. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.